We had the party. <laughs> we sure you were did. at it. Uh-huh. And uh, I just want the listeners to know that I did the splits at the party. <laughs> she sure the hell did. All the way down. Vagina touched that floor. Yeah. Just did it. <laughs> did I know I could do it before I did it? No. Not in five years? <laughs> it's been a long ass time. A hot minute. Indeed. A hot goddamn minute. <laughs> And it was because Tell It To My Heart was on. That's yes. my jam. It's my oh go-to my karaoke song. It's my go-to it's dance so number. Good. It was hilarious because, you know, the great playlist, by the way. <laughs> way to go. Way to go, guys. Nice. But also, like, it was just all over the place. And it was really good. And that came on. And then Danny and I looked at each other and was like, where's Kiana? <laughs> Somebody find her. And then I, like... Bent over and looked at you through the sliding glass, and I saw you getting up, and I was like, yes, girl, <laughs> get in here. I was summoned. You really were. After it- I pass away, legend will have it that if you sing, <laughs> tell it to my heart and to the mirror, I'll pop up <laughs> like Bloody Mary. And then do the splits behind you. Yeah. And it was solid. It was really good. It was a slow split. It was. So there was anticipation uh-huh. before you could see me. Everyone do it. was like, oh. <laughs> it was also like that for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I halfway through it sobered up immediately uh-huh. and was like, well, I can either back out and look like a fool <laughs> or go for it and hurt myself but look kind of cool. Right? I might pull a groin, but I'm going to look sick. And because I'm desperate for attention, (laughs) I went and did the splits. Solid. It was really good. I couldn't believe how many people had it, like, on their Instagram stories. I was like, oh, shit. It was was breaking news. Kiana could do the splits. It sure was. And I did regret it because we went to the Women's March the day after. That's right. And I was hobbling along. Uh, My inner thighs were pissed. You marched like a champion, though. It's a good thing it was a short march. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had my Fitbit on. It was about, like, 2,000 steps. That's it? Yeah. Oh, it it was, wasn't long. It, no, it wasn't. No. It was very short. Got the Which was across. good, because <laughs> despite the fact that you and, like, Sulema and Hannah and the rest of the entourage uh-huh. are all 10 years younger than me and than me and Danny. We were like, oh, yeah, we got up and had breakfast and went to the gym. <laughs> and you guys are all like, ugh, I'm dying. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was a lot of fun, though. That Women's March uh-huh. was the shit. Yeah. A lot of great speakers. It was at the Portland State University campus. Mm-hmm. So kudos to those who organized it. Yes. Thank you very much. You guys are incredible. I met a real nice girl named Tiana who had banging UFO earrings. So also she messaged me. If you're listening, Tiana, hello, shout out. You're great. She messaged me and was just like, think your think your podcast is really fun. Like, oh shit. (laughs) That's nice. That's really exciting. So thank you. We had a very we had a very good time. What was her name? Tiana? Tiana. Mm-hmm. If me and her teamed up, we could be Tiana and Kiana mm-hmm. fighting crime in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Well, welcome to that Broad's Got Moxie, everyone. Yes. This is that Broad's Got Moxie. We're that's, here. That's Cassie over there. That's Kiana over yonder. Mm-hmm. Danny's chilling on the futon. Mm-hmm. She's going to fall asleep during this episode, I can tell. <laughs> That's okay. She's a little sleepy pants. 
hardworking lady. She is a hardworking lady. She, got, she, got she was on her little stepping machine when you got here. She's really going to town. <laughs> I was in here doing some stuff and I was like, what's that noise? And I go out and there she is. Like <laughs> make, doing her steps. Getting her steps in. Mm-hmm. What episode is it? Shit. Is it 69? Hey. No? I thought we were still in the 50s. Oh, we are still in the 50s. Never mind. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Is it 59? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's an so odd going one. first. Hello, this is Kiana. Mm-hmm. I'm going first. We all know what I'm doing because this is part two. Oh, that's two. right. This is part two. Yes. Oh, girl. Okay, the Song Sisters. Yes. So I'm going to say my sources again, even though they're the same as last week's. Perfect. So it's The Famous Feuding Siblings Who Helped Shape Modern China by Ji Yang Fang. The Song Sisters, Women of Influence in 20th Century China by Carrie Gracie. Big Sister, Little Sister, Red Sister, Three Women at the Heart of the 20th Century China by Zhang Cheng, and an entry on yourdictionary.com. My and, dictionary. Yeah. Your dictionary. Your dictionary. And just a little little, little seasoning of Wikipedia. Sprinkle, sprinkles. Okay. So. Here we go. This week I'm picking up where I left off with the Song Sisters. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one. It's wild. But. If you're not into spending all that time listening to the past episode, here's a brief summary. Okay. Last week on That Broad's Got Moxie. (laughs) Please calm down. Sorry. Cool. Sorry. Kiana talked about the Song Sisters. Big Sister, Yiling. Little Sister, Meiling. And Red Sister, Qingling. Born in Shanghai in the 1890s, the sisters received a Western education with the encouragement of their father. All highly intelligent women, their dissimilar political beliefs had led our moxie broads down different paths, all shaping the politics and culture of China in their own ways. However, their differing political ide- ideologies are beginning to drive a wedge between them. Yi is the co-head of one of the richest and most corrupt families in China. Qing is a widow and devout communist. And newlywed Mei is a nationalist married to Chiang Kai-shek, a man that Qing has openly denounced. After discovering her sister married a man she despises, Ching placed herself on a self-imposed exile in Germany. What will happen next? Keep listening and find out. <laughs> there we go. Okay, I'll cut up. Very Any good. Quest- Any questions? No, I'm I'm good to go. Okay, I'm let's very go. Prepared. <laughs> so, during the four years that Ching exiled herself in Germany, her sisters accumulated more wealth, and the Nationalist Party, which May's husband Chiang Kai-shek mm-hmm. ruled over, began to amass more power. The nationalist government did quite a lot during this time, which included modernizing the legal and penal systems, stabilizing prices, amortizing debts, reforming the banking and currency systems, building railroads and highways, and improving public health facilities. Damn. Just to name a few. They also, at this time, created modern standard Chinese, which was Mandarin. Oh, okay. In an effort to take out other varieties of Chinese Mm -hmm. and unify the country more. Gotcha. With May serving as the first lady during this time, she also began campaigning and passing laws that promoted the rights of women in China. Now, while all this sounds like it would be fantastic. (laughs) Every goddamn (laughs) time. time. (laughs) Every time. uh, Political freedom was not a thing. Mm -hmm. And corruption was rampant. If you remember last week. Yeah. (laughs) um, E's husband is also often the magistrate financier. Uh Uh-huh. And while he would be doing legal stuff, mm-hmm. 
and like money costs this much now. Yep. E would be like, oh, interesting. And then get on the phone and do her <laughs> insider trading. So oh, yeah. corruption, not great. Mm-hmm. Citizens that didn't support the party were silenced, often through violent means or just straight up death. Oh, shit. Yeah, not good. And additionally, the nationalists, res- like their signature policy and mm-hmm. what they're known for was the New Life Movement, which all of the advance- advancements were like categorized under, uh-huh. but was pretty out of touch with like the reality of what China was going through. Oh. So they're going through trauma and the terror of war. Yeah. Currently. Because, you know, all the infighting fractured yep. China. Yeah, exactly. May asserted under the New Life Movement, quote, if a man were sloppy and careless about his personal appearance, about his bearing, he would also be untidy in thought. Oh, okay. And then when critics were like, hey, <laughs> that's really not, <laughs> not, not very um, in tune with what's going on in China right now. Yeah. She doubled down on the tone deaf response saying, if everyone from the highest social order to the lowest wheelbarrow coolie would conscientious, conscientiously, <laughs> oh, that's hard, would conscientiously practice these principles in everyday life, there would be food for all. Which, like... That's a bold statement. (laughs) Just, like, just because you know the proper way to set a table doesn't mean that food will magically appear on it. (laughs) Exactly. Like, it's not a code you need to crack. People are starving because you're a mega capitalist Uh with a corrupt sister hoarding the wealth from the common people. (laughs) (laughs) That's just it. That's right. (laughs) So many people were unhappy with May and E's party, which is the Nationalist Party. And there were still large areas of the country that remained fractured Mm -hmm. and were ruled under local warlords, provincial military leaders, or, like, coalitions. Mm. So not only was it still fractured, during this time, a series of massive wars also took place. So it included the Kumul Rebellion, the Sino-Tibetan War, and the Soviet invasion of Xinjiang. Jeez. There's a lot of shit going down. Yeah. A lot of strain on this new party. Yeah, no kidding. That's trying to be like, if you know how to tie a tie, for Pete's sake, (laughs) there won't be war. (laughs) Is that all it takes? (laughs) Okay. I mean, have we tried it? I don't know. (laughs) I don't agree with it. No. But anyways, a lot of shit's happening. Ching decided that she could no longer live away from China Mm -hmm. and the political mess that was happening. So she was like, "Eh, I'm not going to be in exile anymore. So, she returned to China. Upon returning to China, she still had beef with May's husband mm-hmm. and outwardly denounced him again, Oof. but then also started acting as a covert operative for the communists. And, <laughs> and so, for a little while, she was just like, I'm not communist. And they were like, oh, good. And then she just, like, secretly threw herself into oh, toppling the whole regime. Goodness gracious. <laughs> she was taking out the whole damn thing. But she still was like... Chiang Kai-shek's a bitch. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where he was planning on assassinating her. Oh. But didn't. Because even though the sisters were no longer close. Yeah, yeah. May was like, don't uh, kill my sister. Please. <laughs> Just. Come on. Bare minimum. <laughs> bare minimum, don't murder part of my family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was like, uh, I guess. I, women. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't. 
And so the infighting between the sisters and the political factions in China continued until 1937, when Japan launched a full-scale invasion of China. Mm-hmm. A pro-Japan group planned to bomb a city and then also kill Chiang Kai-shek, who they had just taken hostage. Oh. And they wanted to set up their own government, and it threw the whole country into a political crisis. May, in her husband's absence, was able to peacefully negotiate the release of, the hu- of her husband... And essentially formed the United Front. Okay. Which was every Chinese faction Uh against uh, Japan. Oh, okay. So these peaceful negotiations were considered big ups, great victory. Uh Uh-huh. And in 1938, Mei Ling and Chiang Kai-shek were on the cover of Time as Man and Wife of the Year. Really? Yes. That is crazy. Okay. Although the sisters weren't seeing eye to eye about the future of China, they all agreed on one thing. China would remain independent from the Japanese. Yeah. United against one common enemy, the sisters used their wealth, political connections, and reputations to run field hospitals, literacy projects, and they seeked out international connections to gain outside support against the invaders. Okay. So, the sisters made radio broadcasts to America to appeal for justice and support. Um, Ching headed the China Defense League, which raised funds and solicited support all over the world. And E was nominated as chairperson chairperson of the Association of Friends for Wounded Soldiers. And then May, serving as the first lady, took Center Sage as a peace negotiator and became an international darling. Everybody (laughs) loved her. (laughs) She's definitely the favorite child. Right. As the youngest usually is. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Cassie, just a sidebar. How does it feel that your parents were never proud of you? Shut up. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. (laughs) I feel that on the deepest level. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Is that really mean? That wasn't okay. Good. <laughs> okay, I'll just get back to my story now. <laughs> so, oh, look, I don't need your validation. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> okay, so internationally at this time, mm-hmm. so so Japan's invading. There, there's kind of a civil war, but it sort of ended. Okay, because they were like, oh, we got to fight against the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Boom, World War Two. Oof. So now we have the second Sino-Japanese War, which is uh-huh. Japan- World War II and a civil war happening in China. They um, just can't catch a fucking break, can n- they? No. <laughs> Good Lord. And although, like I said, the civil war was on pause at this time, uh-huh. the tensions of ideological disagreements still happening. Mm-hmm. So we have these major conflicts happening on top of an unsettled domestic dispute. Goodness gracious. So, for our American listeners, this would be like if the U.S. fought the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and World War II all at once. <laughs> That's a bad fucking time. And all of this to say, <laughs> there are a lot of players in this game, and I truly apologize <laughs> for not being able to really articulate all of what's going on. That's that's what this whole podcast could be about Yeah, if we talked about just wars. Yeah, yeah. And, like, a lot of fucked up shit happened Mm -hmm. during this time that the sisters had a direct hand in, but Mm -hmm. I didn't 
include it all because, again, this was a very long one. Yeah. But just remember, the government usually doesn't work <laughs> in favor of the people. Mostly just the rich. Mm-hmm. And if they're the rich, they're working in their self-interest. Exactly. Sorry to make such a stand, but... <laughs> Look, I think it's fair. Yeah. So, now we're in 1942. Okay. May was a guest of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his wife, Eleanor, mm. as a part of her international outreach. When she was there, she was asked by the president how she and her husband would deal with a wartime strike that was happening of their coal, the coal miners in the country. Mm. Do you know what this bitch said? Oh, no. Not a fucking word. She replied by silently drawing her hand across <gasps> her throat. No! <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> so, again, probably not the best person in the world. That is a bold statement. Yeah. I take everything before that back. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Yeah. That is sinister. So sinister. But FDR was probably into it because <laughs> in February of the next year, she was invited to address the American Congress. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. He was probably like, dope. Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. Good Lord. By accepting this invitation, May became the first private citizen of any country to address the House of Representatives. Wow. She wore a traditional silk Chinese dress and speaking with an American accent. And she had a... I read this not last week, Uh but for this week. She had a slight Southern drawl because she went to school in Georgia. (gasps) That's right. (laughs) Oh, my God. So can you imagine the way... That like, and she spoke really well, and uh-huh. and she was just in search of support for the nationalist cause against Japan. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the U.S. I forget exactly when they started the Japanese internment camps, uh-huh. but that's what was starting. So uh, anything that was like anti-Japanese, yep, all the congressmen were like, "Woo, yeah!" Especially in a southern accent. Oh my god! So. One of us. One of us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And after her speech, she had a four-minute standing ovation from Congress. Wow. And they were completely mesmerized. They loved her. In March, her picture appeared again on the cover of Times, alone now. <laughs> and she began a six-week tour across the U.S. giving speeches and attending banquets. Basically oh. just saying, like... China thinks we should not have the Japanese around, just like you guys. Right? Give us money to support the fight. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. And her tour uh-huh. subsequently got China billions of dollars in aid, millions of donations from countless Americans who were mesmerized by her passion, determination, and striking good looks. So they I got- mean, she's got the full package, and they're just like... Big goo goo eyes looking at her. Exactly. And listening to her and her cute southern drawl <laughs> talking about how much they don't like Japanese people. And she, we don't. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And she always wore like traditional Chinese dresses. Uh huh. And so everybody was like, she's exotic. This is, this is my, my Chinese friend. I'm not racist. <laughs> kind of deal. Exactly. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So that's what she was doing. And she was doing it well. We'll Mm -hmm. give that to her. Clearly. But also, 
gross. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1945, Japan surrendered. And then with their surrender, two of the three wars have now ended in China. Okay. So the second Sino-Japanese War in World War II, done. Dunsies. And then with Japan surrendering and giving up. So they had taken control of a lot of Asia. Okay. So with them giving up, something happened called the Cairo Conference, Mm -hmm. where territorial issues in Asia were discussed because now Japan had no power. And May accompanied Chiang Kai-shek to the conference Mm -hmm. and just to talk about... Help them sort that mess out. Exactly. What the future looks like. Oh, okay. Like, who gets what? So, like, Micronesia was handed off (laughs) in the way... Take it. Just the way... I'm on one today, but the way that governments just pass on people, people, cultures, land, land, territories, everything. They're like, you know, we lost. Here you go. Here's this thing. You never had that thing to begin with. You stole yeah. that. <laughs> Why are you You're giving treating it away? us like a consolation prize? Exactly. And it's I will not be one. And it causes lots of issues. Mm-hmm. Hello, Palestine, Israel conflict. Yeah. <laughs> Things happen. Anyways. Oof. I'm off. I'm off one right now. Okay. <laughs> I was on one. Now I'm off one. So the Cairo summit mm-hmm. is happening. And this marked the apex of May's political power, but also marked the beginning of the fall of Chiang Kai-shek's regime. Oh. Due, the, due to the corruption in his regime, <laughs> <laughs> people like Big Sister E were extraordinarily wealthy, while the common man or soldier were dying of starvation on the streets. Hmm, weird. The, the domestic tension that was present during the international wars now once again came to a forefront. Mm-hmm. And the nationalists and communists turned on each other again. But now the fight would be to the finish. Ooh. So Chiang Kai-shek began a civil war with the Chinese communists, but was defeated in battle. Like just battle after battle mm-hmm. defeated. And soon the sisters' political differences would separate them for good. When Chiang Kai-shek assassinated a political rival, it was the one man that Qing loved <gasps> after Sun Yat-sen's death. No. And so the battle line was drawn for good. And oh, Qing was like, no. I'm never talking to my sisters again. Holy shit. Qing was on the communist side of the war with a guy you may have heard of, Mao Zedong. Uh-huh. Um, and during the Civil War, both the Nationalists and the Communists carried out mass atrocities with millions of innocent civilians killed by both sides during the war. The death total of the war is somewhere between 1.8 million and 3.5 million people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so many people. Bloody and uh, just terrible. It's ruthless. Yeah. It's just ruthless. Yeah. Ugh. And, like, the bigger, what is it called, when something happens and you retaliate. So it oh, just became yeah. a series of retaliations and anger. Oh, yeah. And that, I'm sure it just escalated yeah. with every with everything that happened. And, like, the sisters pose a good example of, mm-hmm. like, exactly what was happening with the parties at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were angry with each other and the parties were angry with each other and it unfortunately caused the death of a lot of innocent people. Yeah. So, in 1947, May and E could feel the nationalists' power slipping away and E, knowing that her corruption and support of the nationalists would make her a target of violence, 
moved to New York with her family, and transferred all of her wealth to American banks. She's keeping her coin. <laughs> she sure the fuck is. She's watching her ass. Yeah. And in 1948, in an attempt to save the regime, May flew to the U.S. to ask for more money. Uh She was like, oh, they love me over there. Uh However, Truman was president now, and he was indifferent. Oh, okay. Uh, Fearing for her life once she returned to China, May decided to stay in New York with E. In 1949, the nationalists officially accepted defeat, and Chiang Kai-shek moved the party to Taiwan. To put it lightly, this move to Taiwan is what began the bumpy relationship between the two. Mm. May and E, still in support of May's husband, would now split time between Taiwan and New York and never return to China's mainland. Oh my goodness. With the two sisters out of China, it was Qing's turn to shine again. Uh Uh-huh. And when Mao Zedong proclaimed the People's Republic in 1949, Qing walked directly behind him onto Tiananmen Gate and served as the new republic's vice chairman. Oh, shit. Middle sister is coming <laughs> up. I'm not forgotten anymore. No kidding. At one point, May traveled again to Washington in an attempt to prevent the United Nations from recognizing the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that failed. Indeed. So, Qing lived out the rest of her life in Beijing as a figurehead for the dictatorial regime. She was awarded the Stalin International Peace Prize. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, a little. (laughs) And she was active in the international peace movement, Chinese state affairs, and worked really hard to assist women and children's welfare in China. Silver lining. You know how much I love that. (laughs) You love those silver linings. And she was considered the uh, one of the most respected women in China. Yi died in 1973 in New York City. Qing was made an honorary president of the People's Republic of China before she died in 1981. Oh. And Mei Ling spent her last days in the one city she considered her true home, New York, and died when she was 105. 105? Yes. Lord have mercy. Love, loved a long life. Yeah. There is no happy ending to the song story. Ching never spoke to her sisters after the, after the Civil War had started. Mm-hmm. And just as a wrapping up point, mm-hmm. their lives have been summarized in a Maoist saying. And it's one loved money, one loved power, and one loved her country. And that was basically just the bow on top of the song sisters' lives. Damn. <laughs> of their story. <clears throat> Not their lives. That's amazing. So that was part I am two. so, first of all, so glad you decided to do this story in two parts. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, I can't even imagine <laughs> what that would have been like. What, what it would have taken to, like, take all of these things out mm-hmm. to try and scrunch it down into 45 minutes or an hour. Yeah. So. And to also, because I don't know a lot about China's coming-of-age story, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to where they are today. And I didn't want to assume that everybody else did. Fair, yes. And so if I were to take out just all of the context, mm-hmm. the story would be so confusing. You'd be like, I, what, what is the point then? Yeah. Why is this, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you left that in. I have, because I'm a dumb white person <laughs> living in America, 
and I'm not an international studies major like you are. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know those things. We're never taught those things. Mm-hmm. I know American history and like a smidge of like Western European history. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about as far as that goes, mm-hmm. except what I've learned here. And I will also say, just as an international studies student, mm-hmm. that when I came. I think I would have benefited from doing a year abroad somewhere else because oh, I know somewhere I, other than London. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. other than a Western civilization. That's fair. Because a lot of international studies is just sort of like, this is the U.S.'s relationship with this country uh-huh. and that's how it's international. Uh-huh. But you don't actually learn about the history of like a place unless mm-hmm. your focus is in that specific place. Yeah. So I think that's fair. I think we'd all benefit from just sort of looking just into other. Get an idea. I mean, you don't have to know what it's like from, you know, thousands of years ago mm-hmm. until now. But like having a general idea of like what happened, mm-hmm. how did we get here? Yeah, and it provides a good backstory for like conflicts that are happening now. Uh huh. So like Taiwan, absolutely, <laughs> and. <laughs> not even wanting to open up that whole relationship Mm -hmm. because it's wild and you don't really know what the backstory is of it unless you understand the history of oh yeah the nationalists moved their whole party there still considered themselves china but not underneath this government so what happens what do we do Mm -hmm. exactly this is why history is important everyone yeah but you guys don't need to know because you obviously agree if you're listening to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but tell you know what? Go ahead and tell one person today, a stranger on the street. <laughs> history's important. Drop history bombs on people, <laughs> not actual bombs. That's a that's new, right. It's a peace movement. I like it. Drop history bombs, not actual bombs. <laughs> Solid. I wish I put that on a shirt. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, I'm trying to decide who I should do first. I think I'm going to do. Where are these people from? Well, one of them is American and one of them is Japanese. Oh. So, you know, I think do the Japanese person. Okay, I think I will. Because I feel like they were uh, not on in the greatest light in the last story. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and this will, like, shining star right here. Oh. Okay. What period are we in? We are in... 16th century Japan. Okay, so my sources, real quick. This woman came from my favorite book, Bygone Badass Broads, mm-hmm. by Mackenzie Lee. Mm-hmm. I used a little bit of Wikipedia, <laughs> a entry from The Life of Binkleton, which is a blog. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a blog post. And then Women in History, Mochizuki Chiyomi by Noelle Connell, and that was on another blog called FeministElizabethan.com. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, that was a really good one. I liked it a lot. All right, here we go. Well, there isn't a ton of information about... Also, I tried to find out how to say these. I figured out how to say most of them, but they're Japanese and I don't speak Japanese, but I'm (laughs) trying my hardest. That's all we can ask for. Indeed. While there isn't a ton of information about Mochizuki Chiyomi, what we do know about her is that she's a bad bitch. 
Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> this is a quote from bygone badass broads. Quote, she was descended from Mochizuki Uzumono Kami, an epic martial arts master, as well as a line of warriors who had once owned a booby-trapped ninja academy <laughs> disguised as a pharmaceutical company. Oh. <laughs> so, don't know what their sources are, but I was like, yep, putting that in. <laughs> So, let me set the scene real quick. Like I said, we're in 16th century Japan. As, well, come on in, Christianity and firearms. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's no, where we're nice. at. Conflict has been raging for like 175 years. Mm-hmm. Basically, what's happening is there's the feudal system. So, all of these lords mm-hmm. are arguing and fighting for power and territory. And the Japanese emperor is like, da, 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 what's going on, guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> focusing on everything but the crisis that's mm. happening. If you ignore your problems, they'll go away. Exactly. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> so, yes. So he's just completely overlooking all this chaos. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Have you seen the history of Japan on YouTube? I think there was, yes, I watched a little blurb that was from History of Japan. Okay. I highly recommend for the listeners. For the listeners. Yes. It's very good. Mochizuki Chiomi wasn't born into, like, a notable family, and we don't really know anything about her early life. Her earliest notable event seems to be marrying a samurai warrior named Moritoki. He was a member of the powerful Takeda clan and nephew to the clan leader. And his name was Takeda Shinjin. During this time, the Takeda clan was warring with the Yusugi and the Tokugawa clans. Why is everybody fighting? Because <laughs> everybody wants that money and that power. Uh, can't we all just get along? Drop history bombs, not real bombs. <laughs> not real bombs. <laughs> That's right. So they're all at war, but she has married the samurai. But then in 1561, Moritoki was killed on the battlefield. Mm. So, stricken with grief, Chiomi wanted revenge mm-hmm. because. Hell hath no fury like an angry woman. And so she offered to help Takeda fight all of his enemies. Okay. All right. So she busted out her espionage skills. Um, Mochizuki disguised herself as a charitable noblewoman seeking opportunities to do good deeds. So she's just scouring the land trying to do do good deeds right Mm -hmm. she allegedly allegedly well she kind of did we'll get there okay she traveled around koga and other nearby provinces in search of young women who would join her cause as she specifically targeted villages and towns that had been pillaged by all these like marauding samurais Mm -hmm. and stuff okay during a time when blood and chaos reigned, she took an orphaned girls, young widows, and other just vulnerable young women mm-hmm. who didn't have anything, and provided them with safety, sanctuary, and hope. Uh, she set up a camp in the village of Nizu, where women, c- where women could seek refuge from the horrors of war. 
But actually, it was a secret training school for Kunoichi, a.k.a. Lady Ninjas. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is amazing. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) It's a real treat. Once recruited, the women moved into the camp and were tutored in the art of etiquette, dance, singing, spying, Mm -hmm. infiltration, sabotage, and how to kill men quickly and efficiently. That's what all schools should teach. Amen. (laughs) That's what I want all women's schools to be. Uh, Okay. Mochizuki oversaw the progress of each girl, and when she was satisfied that she could take care of herself, they were sent out to infiltrate settlements controlled by Takeda's enemies. Some of their most important tools included hiding in plain sight, role-playing, the art of seduction, withstanding torture, record-keeping, and information smuggling. You know, all those mad spy skills. (laughs) Just casual. (laughs) Real cash. Real cash-like. Also, have you seen The Man with the Iron Fists? No. Okay. It's a Robert Rodriguez movie. Okay. It's very good. Mm. It's about, it's about like feudal Japan. Mm -hmm. And Lucy Liu is this, her name is Madam Butterfly. Okay. Of course. I think I, it's, it's very much like, um, it's exploit. It's like a grindhouse film. Yeah. I think I, I know what this is. Yeah. 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 So Lucy Liu is in her, essentially it's a brothel, Mm -hmm. right? But it's like this big restaurant and there's a theater inside. Secret lady ninjas Mm -hmm. are the geishas. Hell yeah. (laughs) It's the coolest. There are some amazing fight scenes in that movie. It's, oh, it's real good. Sidebar about Lucy Liu. Okay. So I watched Charlie's Angels. Of course you did. (laughs) And Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. That's right. And before we started, it was Zeth and I, and before we started watching it, I was like, Mm -hmm. listen, these were big, big hits in my childhood. Uh I fucking love this movie. I wanted to be Drew Barrymore when I was younger. Amen. Brilliant. (laughs) We get to watching it. Drew Barrymore is a, is a very... How do I put this? <laughs> Not a great role model in the movie. And I was like, why did I want to be her? Uh-huh. But also, I did date a guy named Chad at one point. So there's a real parallel. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's hysterical. So I basically was Drew Barrymore. Also, it unlocked this thing in my brain. And I all I remembered, I used to have a fat crush on Crispin Glover. <laughs> which is questionable <laughs> that I, is exceptionally questionable and i haven't seen back to the future and i was talking about this with us everybody has back to the future crispin glover in his brain yeah where he's a like a nerd and yeah like, dweeby but i only ever had charlie's angels crispin glover oh, in my brain my god and he's a creep in that i don't he know why a super creep <laughs> I really like that he stole people's hair, maybe. What is with you and tall, skinny, white dudes? His literal, his name in that movie is Creepy Thin Man. Yes! I don't think his character is given a name. It's not, he doesn't deserve one, he's a monster. But young Kiana was like, 
Crispin Glover ain't bad. Look at that nose. Look, and, I love a nose. And it's a... But, no. Yeah. I just thought I had to get it out. Well, you, we all grow up. <laughs> we all have those phases. I have a lot of questionable crushes, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's really wide-ranging. That's fair. Where were we? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I just had... I felt like it was confession. I needed to tell more people that I had a crush it on went Christmas from, It went from... <laughs> Lady Ninjas to Lucy Liu to wanting to be Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. to Creepy Thin Man. All right. Listen, Here we go. I, I needed Look. to tell more people. <laughs> okay. We're back Repent on track. for my sins. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So these female ninjas would disguise themselves in a variety of different roles. Most usually barmaids because drunk people like to tell secrets. Ooh. <laughs> Another common role for these spies was as courtesans, Mm -hmm. because you can extract secrets during intimate times. (laughs) People get real vulnerable. Yeah. (laughs) Some of these women would get real deep into the work and would infiltrate the household of these enemy lords Mm -hmm. as servants, where they could just freely roam around the house. In search of information and secrets. What are you doing in that drawer? I'm cleaning. I'm cleaning. I'm putting your underwear away. You're welcome. <laughs> Don't mind if I take this again. File information. <laughs> exactly. Some married enemy samurais after pretending to be noble women, while others disguised themselves as priestesses or nuns allowing them to travel between settlements without suspicion and would also give them the opportunity to hear the confessions oh my god of, of the enemies <laughs> oh yeah they were anywhere and everywhere the lady ninjas were known to pass secret messages plant forged documents spread false information and rumors and even poison specific water supplies oh they i love love it i love it too (laughs) due to the patriarchal society of feudal japan women were not considered threats yeah surprise surprise (laughs) you underestimate us Uh, we'll fucking kill you that's right poison the water supply (laughs) exactly i'll marry you out of spite (laughs) patriarchy allowed the ninjas to successfully fuck shit up without ever being suspected. Hell yeah. They became so good at what they did that Takeda Shinjen began winning more and more battles. No surprise there. (laughs) And at one point, rumors began to spread throughout enemy camps that there were female demons traveling throughout the land cursing men with hexes and black magic. I love that they were so fucking saturated with this toxic masculinity. They were like, it can't be real women. Right. They must be demons. <laughs> like. Must be supernatural. You dumb. Stupid. <laughs> You're a chump. <laughs> exactly. Uh, by the end of 1573, Takeda Shinjin was dead. Under some very mysterious circumstances. Nobody really knows how he died. It was the ladies. There, That's a theory. <laughs> it's like he either died of just like illness. Mm-hmm. He was shot by a long range like shooter. Mm-hmm. 
like sniped basically yeah or (laughs) yeah remember at the very beginning 16th century i said i said well welcome well come on in christianity and firearms (laughs) yeah but i no i guess i'm thinking of like a high-powered sniper oh like that one no No, but they still had they still had they had steel weapons okay that shot things okay like, do you like my <laughs> the little gun, my little finger gun for to demonstrate? Uh, yes, a sniper. <laughs> <laughs> pew pew. <laughs> or the th- there's another theory that was like maybe he was killed from someone on the inside. Who knows? Maybe. Okay. Maybe he just said something sexist. Probably. She's like, you know what? I'm tired of your shit. Yeah. Dead. She didn't need him. No, she sure didn't. <laughs> he needed her. Mochizuki had around 300 women working for her as spies and assassins at this time. But after the announcement of Takeda's death, she and her band of lady ninjas seemed to vanish into thin air. That's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> They're literally just poof, into the like into the night. Oh Nobody God. knows what happened. There's some speculation about what happened. Theory 1, Mochizuki was Killed by enemy forces when she tried to avenge Takeda's death. I don't believe that one. I don't believe that one either. The <laughs> Takeda clan dissolved the Lady Ninja clan. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, we don't need you anymore. Also, don't believe that yeah, one. Yeah, I don't believe that. My personal favorite, Theory 3. Mochizuki said, enough is enough. Said, you ladies, great work. Go live your best lives. Mm-hmm. And then she found a nice place to like retire and relax. Mm. That's what I think. I don't. I was thinking somewhere along the lines of like a mass suicide. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know why I thought that would be a theory. That was bleak. Well, whenever a large group of people disappear, yeah. I, is it a bad theory? It I would mean, be really. But then you just have three hundred dead women laying around somewhere. You think we find every single dead body? No, but I'm just saying, like they they were like, they were in and out of people's lives. Like they were. They were spies, so they were everywhere. They were hiding in plain sight. Also, my theory, based on absolute, just what you told me, I have not heard anything of this story beforehand, so probably wrong. And I don't know why I talk sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Mochizuki Chiyomi is, because nobody knows where she is, who she is, she, but she has been featured in many video games. Mm. A lot of them are Japanese, like, social games. Mm-hmm. Like, you just play them online. Some of them are Ayakashi, Ghost Guild, uh, Blood Brothers, Legends of the Cryptids, Samurai Souls, and the only one I've ever heard of <laughs> is Assassin's Creed Memories. Oh. That's I've heard one. of it, never seen it or played it, but... I think I've heard of a few of those. Okay. She also appears as a major character in David Cudler's young adult historical novel, and that is called Rusuko. Mm. That sounds interesting. It does. It sounds very interesting. It's cool. Like, teenage her, but we don't know her. Exactly. I feel like there's going to be a lot of liberties taken, Mm -hmm. and that's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many unanswered questions about Mochizuki and her kunoichi. But since a good ninja would never leave vital information just lying around, we'll never know. Oh, my God. I need to know, though. The end. (laughs) Isn't that 
so cool. I need somebody to invent a technology so that we can figure it out. <laughs> yes. Like something that they didn't even right? think about. Like it's very it's very much like the Suki Bond girls. Like they came, they saw, they conquered. Mm-hmm. And then they just fucking dispersed. Yeah, but people saw them afterwards. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I want to know sure. where she went. <laughs> I'm telling you, she found a nice place to retire with her cat. And she fucking was like, cool, I don't need anybody. We're chilling. Or, another thought, she became the founder of Charlie's Angels. She's Charlie. And she is like she's the OG <laughs> Charlie, and has just developed this worldwide ring of female spies and assassins that Kristen Stewart is now in. Yeah, like a group of women who get more diverse as time goes on to appeal to the audiences. <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> it could it's, be. It leaves room for a lot of speculation. And I love speculating. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. That's like a real person, but it's a ghost story. Right? It's it's good. I really enjoyed that one. I like that. What makes it even more intriguing is like we don't know a lot about her early life. We know she did this and we don't know what happened after. Exactly. It's like she came from above. She's like a superhero. Yeah. I want to see a fucking comic about Mochizuki, all about her lady ninjas that and the enemies that they fight and infiltrate. That'd be really good. Wouldn't it? We should pitch that. Nobody take it. Nobody take it. That's ours. Ours. Nobody. <laughs> what do you do? What do you, is it trademark? Trade TM. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Our idea. Although I will. If you steal it, we'll sell you. Unless you are of Japanese descent and you have oh, yeah. a better uh, viewpoint of writing this story. <laughs> I respect that. Amen. And with that, go forth and create cool shit. Please there. and thank you. And remember, drop history bombs. Drop <laughs> Not bombs. I was like, what am I supposed to remember? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's all we got for you this week, everyone. Mm-hmm. If you like us. Go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. Give us those stars. Yes, please do. We love them. And then you can follow us on all of our social medias. We're on Instagram and Facebook at That Broads Got Moxie and on Twitter at Broads Got Moxie. And if you have anything else you want to tell us personally that Mm -hmm. you can't tell us through social media, go ahead and uh, send us an email at thatbroadsgotmoxie at gmail.com. That's right. Also, DMs. Love getting DMs. <laughs> Slide right in there. Boop. Appear in there like a lady ninja and then disappear because. But don't disappear. But don't disappear. Please don't. <laughs> we really value everybody who listens. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.